Good afternoon, everybody. My name is uh, Jane Meller, and I'm a professor of biochemistry at the university here. So what I'm going to do is very briefly introduce you to what biochemistry is, and I'm going to give you a lecture about my research and how it tells you about what you are as an individual. So we're going to look at what makes us human beings. So let's start off by looking at biochemistry. This looks really boring, but it's not really. So biochemistry, biochemists study chemical processes and substances in living cells. Well, that sounds really, really boring, but it's not actually because it's the basis of all life on Earth, what goes on in individual cells. And the bit of biochemistry that I study is DNA. And I'm sure you have all heard about DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. Everybody know about DNA? Yes? Good. This is a cartoon of a, a molecule of, uh, of DNA. So as Johnny said, I, I'm partly a teacher, so I spend a bit of my time lecturing the undergraduates at the university. But I spend most of my time in my laboratory here. I took this photograph this morning. Most people were over in chemistry doing another experiment. But this is my laboratory. And we work day in, day out, discovering new things, asking questions and finding out new things. So uh, it's actually quite an exciting and nice way uh, to, uh, to spend my life. So I'm going to tell you about some of the things today that we've discovered in, in the lab. So the question we're going to look at today is what makes you the individual that you are, yes? So what makes you different from everybody else? What makes you different from your parents? Okay? This is a really interesting question because, it, of course, it, it, it defines uh, what, what we are. So let's start right at the beginning. This is a human egg. Okay, so this is the... Yeah? So this is, this is the egg. Can you see this here? That's a sperm. So this egg is about to be fertilised. Down. This egg is about to be fertilised, so this sperm here is about to win the battle of the sperms. Quiet, boys. It's going to, it's going to fertilise this egg, and this egg is going to be the basis of life, if you like. Once it's fertilised, this egg has all the information that's necessary in it to create a human being. And, of course, nine months later... We have a newborn baby. So one of the amazing things about this newborn baby is that we've gone from one cell, one egg, one fertilised egg, to 10 to the 11 cells. That's a trillion. It's a million, million cells in this newborn baby. It's a huge number of times that one cell has to copy itself to make a baby. But the other amazing thing that's happened, it's gone from being a sort of a blob to being something recognisably human with lots and lots of different sorts of tissues that do different things. And by the time that baby has grown to be something like you, a young adult, you have 10 to the 13 cells. That's 100 trillion cells. There's 100 trillion cells, approximately, in each of you. And each of those cells is doing 
its job to make you what you, what you are. So, the first question I have to ask you is, does anybody know what the instructions are in this one cell that allows it to make a human being? Sorry? Mitosis is cell division. No, it's done meiosis. Very good. It's done meiosis because it has to do meiosis to make the eggs and the sperm. But once it's fertilized, it has to do mitosis. So that's one thing. So, so there's some information which allows it to divide because it's got to divide lots and lots of times to make 100 million cells. What else? What, do you know what I mean by information? Anyone want to hazard a guess about what I mean by information? Have a go. DNA, that's right. So I said I worked on DNA, and in the DNA of this, this single cell, there is all the information that we need, not only to do all the mitosis, so all the cell divisions, splitting the cells time and time again to make this 100 uh, trillion cells that, that are present in you, but there's also the information which tells each of those cells to do the job that it has to do, which is quite remarkable, really. Whoops, sorry. Okay. So let's just recap for those of you who are not quite sure where we are. So here's a cell, so just one single cell, and in the cell there is this ball-shaped object which is called the nucleus. And the nucleus contains the DNA. It's organised into what we call chromosomes, which you probably know about. This is, this is a blow-up of the DNA here, again a cartoon of the DNA. And the DNA contains individual bits of information which are the genes. So have you heard of the term genes? Yeah? So the DNA contains lots and lots of genes, and the information in those genes helps you to be the person that you are. It, it, it allows that egg to develop and for the cells to become all these uh, different types of cells. So each cell in this person's body, in your body, has to read the instructions which are written in the DNA, and those are the genes. So if you think about it, this is quite difficult, because our body has got lots and lots of different cells with lots and lots of different functions. Think about an eye. An eye has a lens, and the function of that lens is to focus light to the back of the eye, to the retina, so we can see. And the lens is made up of one type of protein. You know what a protein is? Yeah, called delta crystalline. And it's a nice see-through protein which allows light to get through and to focus it. So an eye cell has to make this protein delta crystalline, but a skin cell doesn't. It, you don't want delta crystalline in your skin. There's nothing to do with skin. You want to make a protein called keratin, which is going to make your skin nice and tough and resist you know, being bashed around and things. So each of the different cells that makes up your body has to read different bits of information. And this is quite difficult, and I'm going to show you why it's really difficult. And one of the reasons why it's really difficult is that we have absolutely loads of DNA in a cell. So if we think of this nucleus, this ball-like structure which contains the DNA, as being the equivalent of a football, okay, so you can, you can envisage a football, you would have to put 750 kilometres, so that's from Oxford to the north of Scotland, worth of a very fine thread, you'd have to pack that into the football to give you an idea of how much DNA you have to put into the nucleus. So it's an absolutely phenomenal amount. 
And in all the cells in your body, if we took all the DNA and laid it end to end, it would stretch to the moon and back 3,000 times. That's just in, in one person. So the DNA is extremely long, but it's very, very, very thin. Okay? So we have a huge amount of it. And this, of course, makes it difficult because we've got lots of genes and our cells have to find the right bit of, of the right gene in order to produce the right information for the cell it wants to make. So a lot of DNA. But there's another problem for the cell, and that is that DNA is, is made up of chemicals. Okay, So you need to start thinking about your chemistry and physics now. And the DNA has what's called a charge on the outside of it, like many chemicals. And these blobs here, this is the DNA molecule, these blobs here represent the charge that's on DNA, which is actually a negative charge. Now, if you think about your chemistry and physics, you might know that when two things have a similar charge, be it a negative charge or a positive charge, so the minuses means negative and the plus means positive, it's very hard to get those two things to come together. If you want a, a way of thinking about that, have you handled magnets at all? Yeah? Well, you know magnets have poles. They have north poles and south poles. And if you've got the same pole, two north poles, you can't bring your magnet close together. Yeah? But if you have opposite poles, or in this case, opposite charges, then you can bring them together. They tend to attract each other. And in fact, two magnets will actually stick together. Well, the same thing applies here. If we have two charges, they will stick together. So because the DNA has the same charge, it doesn't want to come together. So you're trying to push your 750 kilometers of thread into a football, and that DNA is springing out all the time because it doesn't want to be packed in together. So the cell has to do something else to help that. And what it does is it uses another molecule, a protein in this case, which has a positive charge. So these pluses represent the positive charge. So the positive charges and the negative charges, they attract each other. And what you do is cover the DNA with this, uh, with this protein here. And what it does is effectively it neutralizes the charge. It gets rid of the charge. And that allows you to pack all this meters and meters of DNA. There's actually two meters of DNA in each cell, technically, into, into the cell. So we can take our DNA, this is a bit pale here, but you can take the DNA and wrap it around this protein here, and then we can, we can pack, it, pack it down into the nucleus of the cell. So, this is a, a cartoon, if you like, of how the DNA is packaged. And what you can see from this is that we can package the DNA quite tightly, or we can package it more loosely. However we package it, it helps it fit into the nucleus. Okay, so that's the first thing to do. Packaging helps it to fit into the nucleus so we can actually get it in. So this is the DNA here, this blue thread here, and our orangey-red things are the, the, the proteins here. So this is the packaging. But there's another consequence of that packaging. And depending on how the DNA is packaged, it can be tightly packaged, which is like here, or it can be more loosely packaged here. This affects whether the cell can actually read the information in the DNA. So when the DNA is tightly packed, the cell can't read the information. So if there's a gene in that region there, then it's like the cell doesn't have that gene at all because it can't read the information in it, so it might as well not be there. And when the DNA is loosely packed, then the cell can read that information. 
So that's very useful, because if we go back to the idea of our eye cell and our skin cell, it means that in the eye cell, we can put our keratin gene into a tightly packed region, so the cell doesn't even have to think about reading it. And we can put the keratin gene in a loosely packed region, and the same for the eye. So the, the crystalline gene can go in a loosely packed region, so the cell can read it, and the other uh, the, the keratin uh, gene will be in a tightly packed region, so it doesn't have to read it. But the interesting thing about this packaging is that cells can switch this packaging. So it's not fixed, it's very what we call plastic. So a cell can change how it packages its DNA. Okay, so that, there's, there's an idea. So we can have packaging, but, but this, this, this can switch. And this is going to be very important for what I'm going to tell you later on in, in the talk. Okay, so if, if we think about a situation where we have two cells, our eye, our eye cell and our skin cell, or we could take the analogy a little bit further and talk about two people, they could have the same DNA, the same gene, but it could be packaged differently, and that will determine whether the cell can read the information in the cell or not. So let's look at situations where two different people have the same DNA, and this is with identical twins. So identical twins have the same genes. Identical twins come from the same fertilized egg. So that fertilized egg, instead of just dividing to make one individual, it divides in two, and then they make two individuals. So they have exactly the same genes, but you can see that they're not identical. Look at these two girls. They're obviously identical twins, but they're not quite the same. You see their face shape's different, their nose is different. They're very slightly different. And if I show you a few more pictures, you can see. So here's another pair of twins. They're very similar, but not quite the same. Look at, look at this region of their hairlines here, or their eyebrows. They're slightly different. Another set of twins. This twin here's got a much wider face than that twin there. And then the best one, this is the, the best. <laughs> These are quite old twins. You can see, you can see just how different these two, two old guys are from each other. You can see particularly if you look at the, twi the, 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 uh, the chin of this twin here, you can see how much bigger it is and you can see he's got a sticky out here. And this is true of all identical twins. They are not really identical. They're actually quite different. And we think that this difference arises because although they have the same genes, it's the way the genes are packaged while they're growing in, in, in their mum, in the uterus, when they're, before they're born, and then all, all throughout their life, and it changes the sort of the characteristics that they, that they show. <clears throat> the easiest thing to look at is actually how they look, actually looking at these photographs, but it applies to all other aspects of being a human being, like your susceptibility to getting a disease, or perhaps, you know, how tall you are, or, you know, how, what your sense of humour is like to a certain extent. So identical twins are not the same, because, although they have the same genes. So let's come back to the question I want to ask you. So what makes you an individual, you, and what makes identical twins different? So I've told you that this might be something to do with the way our DNA is packaged. And in fact, the, one of the answers to the question actually lies in this cartoon here. So I don't know whether anybody at the front can actually see what this smiley face is made up of. Can anybody recognise anything here? 
They're microbes, yeah. They're microbes, exactly right. I actually had, I actually had blown them up so you could see them. But in fact, they are microbes. And microbes have the answer to why individual twins or identical twins are not identical and why you are an individual. So that's what we're going to look at now, microbes. So let me tell you a little bit how I got into microbes. So when I was about your age, I had a friend who was really very poorly with an infection. And in fact, she nearly died. And I wanted to know more about the process of what was going on when, with this infection. And so I read a book, this book here, which is called Microbes and Man, by a guy called John Poskate. And at the same time, there was a really interesting TV program called Microbes and Men. And this was, this was telling me all about the, uh, the very famous people who had really discovered the science of microbiology, which is why we study microbes. And this is Louis Pasteur, who's one of the most famous. Um, he discovered vaccination. You've all been vaccinated against viruses and bacteria, yeah? He discovered microbial fermentation, which is microbes that make delicious things to eat, beer, wine, bread, etc. And he also discovered, well, he also his pasteurization, which is named after him, which is the process that you put milk and other food through to kill bugs in it, to make it fit to drink. So he was a very famous man. So that's, that's a bit about my background. That's how I became interested in, in microbes. And I've been studying microbes ever since. I did science A-levels. I went to university to do a microbiology degree. And I've been studying DNA in microbes ever since then. So most of you, when you think about microbes, probably think about diseases, because that's what we most commonly associate with microbes. But actually, as I've indicated, they're quite important for a lot of the food we eat. Yogurts and a lot of fermented foods require microbes. They play a really important role in decay. You all know that if you get teeth decay, it's because of the bacteria in your plaque, which cause acid. But they decay lots of things in, in, in the wild. But what you probably didn't know is that microbes are really important for your health. And this is something that a lot of people don't know. Everybody, we tend to think them as being rather bad, but actually they're very good. So microbes are critical for your health. They, they are really important. So that's what we're going to look at today. So what are microbes? Well, we know they're very, very, very small cells. So here's a, another size comparison. Here's a 50p piece. And here's a little capsule here on the same size. And this contains 25 billion microbes, OK? That's 25 by 10 to the 9. So microbes are very, very, very small. You can get a lot of them into a very small area. And there are an awful lot of microbes on Earth and on you. So there are about 10 to the 30. That's I, it's a term I don't really, haven't really come across before. It's called a nonillion, which is this term, 20, 10 to the 30. There's 10 to the 30 microbes on Earth. That's a huge, huge number. There are 10 to the 24 stars in the universe. So there's a huge number of microbes on Earth. And you have over 10 to the 14 microbes on your body. You've got 10 to the 13 cells, which is 1,000 trillion cells. So you've got so 100 trillion cells. You've got 1,000 trillion uh, microbes on you. So you're covered in them. They're on your skin, they're in your ears, in your mouth, your gut, and on your genitalia. Okay, so they're all over you. No bit is free from microbes. 
it's going to get worse, believe me. Okay. So you might think this is growth, but as I said, it's absolutely perfectly, perfectly normal and essential for health. So here you can see somebody's hand, which is under what's called a glow and tell machine, in which the microbes here show up as white. So you've got lots and lots and lots of microbes. Now, <laughs> microbes. Microbes, they're all over your skin. And there are some sort of side effects of having microbes all over you. So the moist bits of your body, like your armpits, your feet, and various other bits that you know are moist, the sweat that you produce in these regions, plus the microbes, makes smells. They get smelly. So you get smelly armpits and smelly feet. So you need to wash to get rid of the, the smells and the sweat. But you mustn't wash too hard, because it's really important that you keep all the good bacteria that are over the surface of your skin. So don't scrub yourself too hard. So you need to get rid of the nasties, but not too much, because they're really important. They keep the bad guys off your skin. OK, so we're going to have another question here. So I've told you that microbes are all over your body. So which bit of your body do you think contains the most microbes? No, not the genitalia. Don't shout. No, good guess. No. 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 In your gut. Okay, in your gut. Okay, your guts contain most your guts contain most microbes. And in fact your guts contain most of the ten to the fourteen microbes that are on your body. So these are your guts here. You all know what they look like. So in your guts, you have 1.8 kilograms of microbes. That's a, quite a lot, isn't it? 1.8 kilograms. And there are estimated to be about 7,000 different types of microbes in your guts. OK? So let's, let's look at what goes on. So the microbes in your guts, they feed on the food that you cannot digest. OK, so let's go through what goes on. So up here somewhere is your mouth. This is the esophagus, which is a tube that links your mouth to your stomach, which is here. So in your stomach, you've got the acid, which breaks up the food. And then it goes into the small intestine, which are these bits here. And then all the proteins, carbohydrates, fats, and vitamins that you take in your diet that you need to keep you healthy are absorbed in this region here. And all the stuff that's in your food that you can't digest goes into your large intestine, which is this knobbly bit round the outside here. And this is where all the bacteria are, most of them anyway. They're in this large intestine here. And what these bacteria do is they feed on the bits of the diet, bits of your food that you can't digest. They're normally things called polysaccharides. Okay, so they're, 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 they're eating those foods. Now, of course, there are consequences of this, aren't there? So... The bacteria and the microbes in your gut, they grow and they divide. They do a sort of mitosis, just like your cells do. 
So they grow into two microbes, and they do this quite fast, and they produce a lot of waste gases, just like you when you're breathing in and out, the microbes do. So imagine what's going to happen. You've got bacteria and other microbes in here growing away and producing gases. So where are they going to go? Out of your bum, yeah. So the poo you produce and the... Yeah, thank you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got to, you need to know more about this. So you produce about... You produce about half a litre of gas a day from your bottom. And your poo that you produce, half of your poo is made up of the microbes from your gut. Okay. So, let, let's, let's ask a really important question here. We've got, the sort of, we've got the side effects, the daily side effects of having these microbes in your gut, but the point of having them here is that they, they are really important. So they make things that you cannot get from your diet, which are really essential for your health. So they make vitamins, and they make other really important chemical signals, and these keep you healthy and happy. So they're really important. One last point to make, that the gut, although it's sort of inside you, is actually the outside of your body because the, the tube from your mouth to your anus, which is your bottom, is actually outside, outside your body. So in fact, the microbes, the microbes on your body are all on the outside, not on the inside. Okay, so what do your gut bacteria like to eat? Okay. So gut microbes like to eat all the things that you probably don't like to eat, but which your mum and your gran and your teachers and things tell you are good for you. So they like lots of fruit and vegetables. They love beans. You know that your gut bacteria love beans. And you know what the side effects of your gut bacteria eating beans are. Yeah. So what your gut microbes really don't like too much are highly processed foods. So they don't like burgers and things, unfortunately. Oh yes, you have to have the meat. So yeah, you, so you need meat. Yeah. But but your but your gut bacteria don't like it particularly. They like all the vegetables and things that things on the list here. So you can have very happy guts that are, that are living on all the waste from these sort of foods, or very unhappy guts. So the key question is, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it really matter? And the answer is, yes, it does really matter. So it matters because in your guts, this little cartoon here represents one of those gut microbes. What these microbes are doing as they grow and divide is they're producing chemical signals which are called neurochemicals, which are sent from your gut to your brain. Okay, so what's going on in your gut is communicating to your brain. And there those signals are read. And those signals are important for, th for things which we call behavior. So things like your ability to learn and your ability to memorize things. Your appetite and when you know whether you're full or not, so how much you eat. And also your mood and emotions. 
And in fact, it's really important that you feed your gut bacteria properly. Because if, if, if you don't feed them properly and they, don't, and they don't grow enough and you don't have enough of the right sort, you don't get enough of these nice neurochemicals. And this can be one reason why people get sad and anxious. And people with good gut, gut bacteria tend to be much calmer, happier, and more content. So it is really quite important. So we know that the microbes in your gut, they send these chemical signals to every cell in your body. So we've talked about the brain, the, the link between the gut and the brain. But actually, these signals go out into, into the whole of your body, including your immune system. So they're quite important in your ability to fight infections as well. So I'm nearly finished. So let's finally go back to where I was to ask the question of actually, what do these chemical signals do that your gut bacteria produce um, and affect every cell in your body, including your brain? Well, what they do is they control the switches that determine, if you remember from the earlier part of the lecture, how your DNA is packaged and whether your genes can be read or not. Yes? So whether the, the machinery in, in the cell can actually read the genes or not. And so these these gut bacteria and the chemical signals they produce, they influence um, how your DNA is read. And this provides an explanation to why identical twins have the same genes which, but are not identical. We now know that identical twins, right from the time they're born, well, about year, two years old onwards, have different gut microbes. And these gut microbes are influencing their DNA and the information in their DNA, and that's affecting the characteristics they display. So, to summarise, so we've got food coming in here, which you need to keep you healthy, and then we've got the gut bacteria and the gut microbes, which are, which are producing all these nice chemicals, and these keep you healthy. So even while you're in the uterus of your mother, what your mother eats determines how the genes in you which are being read even when you're growing in the womb, it affects how they're read. So that means that you can have two identical twin babies when they're born can be different. And then when you're a baby, a young adult, a grown-up or even old, the what you eat is affecting your health and well-being all the way through your life because of these microbes. So let's go back to the question I asked you at the, at the very beginning, which is what makes you you? So what makes you an individual? So this, uh, this is a copy of a magazine, which is, uh, which is called Time magazine. It's mainly in the, produced in the USA. And it's got this article in it which says why your DNA isn't your destiny. And it's talking about a new science which is called epigenetics, which I said I'd talk about. So let's have a look up here. So, the first thing to say is you're more than the genes you inherit from your parents. So the egg and the sperm give you the genes from your mother and your father. But you are not the same as the sum of both your parents. Most of you realise that. You are still different. So about 60% of what you are, your identity, is determined by your genes. And that science is what we call genetics. So that's, that's, underst that's just understanding the genes and what they can do. The other 33% of you is influenced by how you choose to lead your life. So that's the environment that you tend to, to live in. And the food you eat. And that's the effect of the gut microbes in, in, in your large intestine. And this other effect 
that, that controls what you are is the science of epigenetics. And epigenetics, the term comes from the Greek, epi means above or on top of. And the epi here really refers to, if we go back to this slide here, to the way the DNA is packaged and the ability of the cell to read the information in the DNA or not, because that's what's affected by food and environment. So, just to finish up, if any of you are inspired to learn a little bit more about microbes and microbiology, just like I was at your age, there's a really nice new book that's just come out. It's got a very provocative title. It's got a very provocative title. It's called The Life of Pooh. And this is even more provocative, or why you should think twice about shaking hands, especially with men. <laughs> but you can work out what that might mean. But this, this, this book describes a lot of what I've told you about how the microbes in our gut are absolutely critical for our health, for our ability to fight infections, and for defining who we are as people. And there's another book here, this is published in, this is by Adam Hart, who's quite a famous science journalist here. There's another book here, which is published in, in the States, which is called 10% Human, How Your Body Microbes Hold the Key to Health and Happiness. So only 10% of our cells are, are us, the rest of us are microbes. And at that point, I think I'll stop. Thank you.